are in the book of Daniel. If you are brand new to us, uh, let me give you the lay of the land. We've been in the book of Daniel for a little while now. We're in part eight, and I entitled the series Dare to be Different, and here's its essence. We were trying to figure out more of what God is like, and if he is like that, how ought we to live? So we thought, let's grab a character that is extraordinarily connected to God and figure out how he is different and we might dare to be different just like him, right? So we've been kind of tracking this, but what's intriguing about it is that the book of Daniel is just flat out weird. It starts out the first six chapters of stories, like dramatic stories, Daniel in the lion's den, the Hebrew boys in fire. Then all of a sudden it makes this radical shift that the last six chapters are visions of freaky dreams of the future. And so it's hard to figure out how do I teach the whole book all the way through? Is there a cohesive theme that goes through it all? And the answer to that is absolutely. And it's one word, sovereignty. If you even just write down that word, sovereignty just means totally in control. The idea is that the first six chapters demonstrated to Daniel that God was in charge in the present, and then the next six chapters say he's in charge in the future. They already knew he was in charge of the past. And so what I want from today's time together is every single one of us emerging from this place more convinced that God is in control, more convinced that God is interested in your life, and with greater faith and greater trust. That's what I'm shooting for, right? We'll see how I do, yeah? But here's the interesting thing. The whole point is that God rules. God rules the universe. God rules the supernatural he rules our lives, he rules the past, he rules the present, he rules the future. Now recently in this series, if you haven't been with us, we've been talking about a couple personal issues. One of them was that God works in advance for his people. When he knows all things, he sets things in motion months or years ahead of time so that you are provided for in the present. Right, we talked about an omniscient parent. How would they prepare, right? The other thing we talked about is that there is a truer reality than the one we engage with. That's the place where God dwells. We talked about no matter how dark your circumstances. Hey look, I just stepped on my own lace, did you see that? She's trying to point out this whole thing the whole time. Totally paranoid that I'm gonna step on my laces, which I just did. I know, I just did. My shoe is untied. Can we all write this down real quick? Hold on, hold on, this is important. This is important. The other thing is I need you to understand that I'm wearing no-show socks, but they're still socks. Are we all good? It's very important stuff. It's a, yeah, there's a reason you come to Bridgeway. You know what I'm saying? All right. Good job, thank you. No matter how dark our circumstances, whether we're in fire or we're in the lion's den, our God is with us, right? Okay. So we're gonna continue this theme today, and twice now, God has revealed to Daniel what's going to come in the future. In terms of over the next 
hundreds of years, and he's going to be shooting stuff out into the future 400, 500 years. He's going to lay out the empires of mankind in advance. Like you've got to imagine that each and every succeeding empire thought they were coming up with something new, it was their own plans, and he said, yeah, 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 I knew all that. He tells Daniel that there's going to be four successive empires. He's in the first one. It's called the Babylonian Empire. But after that will come one, the Medo-Persian Empire. Then after that will come the Greek Empire and then the Roman Empire. And sure enough, in history, we know that's exactly how it's laid out. And he gives shocking detail of the future. To me, that has to highlight that the Bible is no mere book. The Bible is not simply a collection of wisdom information. The Bible is a supernatural living document revealed by God. That means it has something to say about our lives. Why is he telling Daniel this? Because periodically our world gets crazy and God's people need to remember that the Lord is still in control. Right? Now, I mean, weird stuff doesn't happen today, right? Like there's no pandemic or there's no, no like national issues or no, right? Oh, that's right. We panic on everything, right? Oh, Lord, that, that my team's not in the White House, and I don't know what's going to happen, and this is the end of the world, and, and then the other team comes in, your team. Lord, things are so good. Lord, you're mighty and powerful, right? Come on. Listen, I need you to write down a phrase that I say all the time. It's almost irritating. Do not allow your circumstances to dictate your theology. Do not allow your circumstances to dictate your theology. Imagine if you had a child that was six years old and they were going to determine the viability of your parenting. What would a six-year-old have to say about you as a parent? If you buy them ice cream, you are God's gift. Do you understand? All things are right in the universe. There is great blessing flowing from the kingdom. But when you put them on time out, you are of the devil. You are clearly not a good parent that have no idea what is going on with your child, right? Okay, just as a six-year-old cannot be trusted to assess the overall parenting, neither can limited human beings assess whether or not God is good or not based on their circumstance. So what God does, he lays out these big, huge maps and says, I'm always like this. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. Whether or not you think your country is going down the tubes does not change who I am. Whether or not you think that your marriage is going down the tubes does not change who I am. Whether your health is going down the tubes does not change who I am. I am who I am. It does not matter whether or not you have a feeling towards me in that way or this way. I am reality. Does that make sense? And so this is all very, very important for us in our day-to-day -day lives, and here's why. We need the encouragement 
that he is constant. Because our world around us shifts so often. Everything is moving on us. And increasingly so, we are getting bombarded with new information. And everything speaks to fear. But we have to remember, God's not afraid. Now, whenever we face any dark situation, there is one truth we must be very clear on. And that is the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you. If you have that maybe in the app or what have you, go ahead and write this down if not. God is doing things we can't understand. God is doing things we can't understand, and that's okay. You see, daring to be different is trusting God when times look bleak. Daring to be different means trusting God when times look bleak. Listen, Christians are not ignorant of the state of the world. They just don't let it rule them. Christians are not ignorant to disease being able to kill them. They just know that's not the end of the story. Christians are not ignorant of the state of our society, but they just don't get rattled. Do you understand what I'm saying? That we are not to be naive, we're not to be ignorant, we're just to look right through those circumstances into something greater. That is our mandate. That is who we are. So, the setup for today's message is that we're walking back into Daniel. He's going to have more freaky dreams with more weird animals. And you're going to be like, I don't know what's going on. I'm going to make it really easy for you as we go along, hopefully, right? But it's a lot. If you want to draw cartoon pictures while I'm doing it, it helps. It helps an awful lot, right? So once again, there are four kingdoms in this order. The Babylonian kingdom, the Medo-Persian empire, the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire. The first dream Daniel interacted with was a statue. Gold head, Babylonian. Chest of silver and arms, Medo-Persian. The torso and thighs of bronze, Greek. The legs of iron and feet of iron and clay, Roman. Then he switches the whole motif, which, by the way, I'm a little bitter about. Lord, if you're going to give us animals, can we just stick with the same thing, right? Can we just stick with the same animals? makes it a lot easier. He said, there was a winged lion. That was the Babylonian. There was the lopsided bear. That was the Medo-Persian. He said, there was a four-headed leopard. That was the Greek. And then there was a terrifying beast. That was the Roman. Now, we've already gone through those. And at the end of our time last time, Daniel said, yeah, I still don't understand because there's all these little weird horn things. And they come up. And then one horn pops out a couple more. And what the heck? Then the horn has like eyeballs and a mouth. And it's talking. And, and this is so weird. And we learned that he began to get details of saying, listen, that particular horn was referring to a future leader that we now probably refer to as the Antichrist, right? Okay. In today's vision that Daniel gets, we're backing up and talking about the two middle kingdoms, all right? That's all we need to know in advance. You're going to see a bunch of angry livestock, and they're going to be fighting, and you're going to be like, what's going on? They're kingdoms, yeah? All right, here we go. Let's walk 
right into this. Daniel chapter 8, verse 1, page 745. Daniel 8, verse 1, page 745. This is how it starts. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, that's the Babylonian king, we're talking 550 B.C., a vision appeared to me. That means you're awake, but you're having a dream. Daniel, now 70, he said, I had this one after my last weird animal dream. And I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa, the citadel, that is modern-day Iran, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, and I was at the Ulai Canal. I raised my eyes and saw, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns, and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other. And the higher one came up last. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. All right, let's pause. Angry ram. Big horns, one horn's bigger than the other one, came in later, right. Y'all know what a ram is, a little, little curly horn thing? All right, cool. That's what he saw, and it's running around, and nobody can stop it. Gotcha. Cool, cool. Here we go. Verse 5. As I was considering that ram, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. So he's flying or hovering. And the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came to the ram with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal. And he ran at him with his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him. He struck the ram and broke off his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him, and there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. Angry barnyard. Yes, everyone's ticked off, right? So, what did we just see? A unigoat. A unigoat shows up, and he's super mad at the two-horn guy, and he just beats him with living daylights out of him and breaks off his horns, and who's that? Well, if we have two horns for the Medo-Persian Empire, and there's one major horn for the Greek Empire, who is that horn? Well, that would be Alexander the Great, okay? That's all we've seen so far. So this is where I want to pause, and I want to talk about something for a moment. Why does God allow tyrants? Why does God give power to bad guys? This is a fair question. Because these are not theoretical characters. These will be real leaders that kill real millions of people. If you're living during their time and you're not on their team, you are being destroyed by them. Why would God allow that? Why did God allow bad people in your life that had authority, that took advantage of you, that harmed you, that abused you? These are all questions we need to wrestle with. 
But let's go back to the world scene for a moment. Why is Kim Jong-un running North Korea? Is God literally saying, I have no third grader that could run it better? No, I don't think so. Why are people like Saddam Hussein running Iraq? Why do we have Mussolini in Italy? Why do we have Stalin? Why would God allow people like Hitler to have power? Is there no better leaders? Clearly, that's not the issue. How did they get power? Well, if we were to be crass, we would say this, they are the leaders we deserve. Why? When you take God out of a situation, you are left with let the strongest survive. What is the reality of that? Bad people are willing to cut corners and hurt people and win. It's not about integrity, it's not about good leadership, it was about winning. And if we're gonna play the winning game and take God out of it, bad people in general will win because they're willing to do whatever it takes. So in our godless world, this is what you get. But the Bible says that there is no authority on earth that has not been instituted or allowed by God. So it's not like he did not allow that person to do that. He could have shut that person down. Why did he not do that? You see, this brings up the bigger question everyone has to ask and wrestle with, which is, if God is in control, if God is good, why is there evil and suffering, right? I mean, isn't this a question we all have to answer? And if you don't have to answer that, I can guarantee you your neighbor is going to ask you because that's going to be a big stumbling block. If God is good and he's in charge, why have I been hurt? That's, that's a fair question. All right, so the only way to talk about this is to blow back out from a 30,000 foot level and talk about it theor theoretically. But here's the challenge. If you are currently suffering, theoretical discussions about suffering are irritating. They are very little help because all you want is the pain to stop. So for you, I apologize for having to step back. But the reason I'm doing this is because as a parent of this congregation, what I'm trying to stop is more unnecessary crises of faith. Because here in general is what's happening. Most of us do not think through what we believe. So we go on with whatever we're taught or told, we move forward with ultimately what's an imaginary faith. We then go through and live as if it's true until pain enters our lives. Then we have a crisis of faith because we believed that if we did everything right, it would go well for us. That comes shattering down, we give up on God until we feel better then we re-engage with our imaginary faith and move on. I'm not okay with that. I believe that as a family, we should talk about the difficult issue right here, right now, so that you are not dealing with that. So let's talk about it. Why is there pain and suffering in this world? Although mysterious, there are reasons. And so for me, 
what happens is, is I have to go back. When, when a train goes off the rails, you gotta figure out how it went off the rails. So you go back to the last time it was on the rails and figure out what derailed it, yeah? When was the last time our world was on the rails, right? If you say Reagan, I'm gonna get really mad. <laughs> it was the Garden of Eden. We gotta back up a little further, yeah? You know what I'm talking about? All right, cool. The Garden of Eden was the last time this world was on the rails, okay? Now, in order to understand God's intention, in order to understand God's desire, we have to see what he made when he was in charge, right? So what was the Garden of Eden like? Pretty awesome. That is his intention for his people. It was connective, it was meaningful, it was safe, and it was loving. That is God's intention for his people. And that's where most of us stop. And we can't seem to reconcile anything else. Ah, but there's more to the story. That is not the only thing that was in the Garden of Eden. There were two other major elements that God had in there. But I know what those two things are. One was a tree, the other was a snake. You see, there was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Anybody remember where it was in the garden? It's in the middle. That means they had to go by it all the time. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God said, don't eat of it, for when you do, you will, anybody remember the phrase? Surely die. I don't think God was being vague. You will surely die, meaning it's gonna go real bad for you, right? Don't eat it. But then there's also a snake in the garden. How did the snake get in the garden? Did he slip in under the fence? Did he sneak in when God wasn't looking? No, God let him in. Why? All right. Here we go. Tree represents options. Snake represents resistance. Options and resistance were necessary for what God was going for. Why? Because what was God's ultimate goal? His goal was not to create an independent race that had an easy life. That was never his point. His goal was to create a true, deep love connection with his people. In order to do that, one must not only have the presence of love, but one must also have options and resistance. Why? Well, if it was only God and they knew nothing else, the love could only be so deep because there was no other option for their heart. So God put a tree in the middle of the garden so that every day they had to make a choice. Do you want me or do you want yourselves? Do you want me or do you want yourselves? You see, the greatest temptation was not the serpent. The greatest temptation was selfishness. You see, God was going to create us with such beauty. He was going to create us with such complexity. He was going to create us with such power that we would very easily 
become enamored with ourselves. So he put a tree in front of them and said, ask yourself today, do you want me or you? Well, for a while they said, God. But what if they've never tried themselves? How would they know? Ah, thus comes resistance. The serpent comes in and said, hey, have you tried the fruit? Oh, we're not supposed to do that. Really? Why? Well, because God said so. Ah, but what if he's holding out on you? What if there is better? What if it was really about you? Ah, that became a problem. Why would God put in resistance? Well, I don't know. Why do we go to the gym? Do you understand that the gym is called resistance training? Have you noticed that? Okay, when you have a little baby, part of the ways in which they start to work their muscles is they push in the womb, and they start to push and push. Then, when they come out, you watch them have to build their muscles to learn how to walk. That is a very troublesome process for them, right? But they're developing their muscles by pushing against resistance, and it goes on through our entire lives. How do you get stronger? Resistance. When God placed resistance in there, it started building the muscles and revealing what their hearts really were. That's why that stuff's in there. Now, what is the problem with it? They chose self. And when they chose self, they broke our world and they broke themselves. Now, this is where we go, well, if I was there, I never would have done that. <clears throat> Side note, you're way worse. They were our best shot. How do we know that? You've been choosing yourself every day you've been alive. So, no, it wouldn't have gone better. But isn't it ironic that when Jesus shows up on this planet, the Father puts him in a desert temptation where there is options and resistance. For 40 days and 40 nights, he is fasting and he has the power to change his situation. And so he has the resistance come in of the devil saying, shouldn't you choose you and not the people? Shouldn't you choose you and not the will of God? Same exact scenario, but what does Jesus do? Nails it, perfect, every single time. Why? Because he's the second Adam. You see, the first Adam blew it, the second Adam didn't. The first Adam brought death, the second Adam brought life. Amen? Amen? <clears throat> and indeed, that same Jesus who did it perfectly then went to the cross to protect his people and then would trade his perfect life for your broken life. That is the point of redemption. You see, when we broke it, God had two options, flush the people and start over again, or plan B. Now, he actually did the flushing option in the Noah's Ark story, right? Have we all followed this? Only eight people got through, let's narrow it down, and then how did it go after that? Dismally. It was terrible. So the point was, no matter how many times he flushes the toilet, there's still garbage coming back up. You understand what I'm saying? That was edited. Let's just let it sit. All right, all right, praise God. Yeah. Starting over doesn't matter. 
What does he want? Connection with his people. What does he want? True love. He's gonna keep putting those challenges in there. There's never gonna be a time on this planet that you're not gonna have options and you're not gonna have resistance. Now, in addition to that, we have a broken world that brings in disease and we have bad people hurting people. That's why this world is so messed up. Because we chose self over God. Now, What God decided to do in plan B is called redemption. And he beautifully navigates while keeping the ramifications for sin. He brings in his love more clearly demonstrated by the sending of his son. More clearly demonstrated by the dying on the cross. More clearly demonstrated by the sending of the Holy Spirit to come in. And what is the ultimate result? Closer connection with his children. Talk about masterful. God is always 10 steps ahead of the enemy. Amen? All right, cool. What book are we in? All right, praise God. Praise God. Here we go. Let me paraphrase where we're at next. We're going to pick it up in verse 12. But let me tell you how it goes. This unigoat, he rose in power, and his big horn, his little unicorn horn, got broken off, and four new horns came out. But then one of those little horns grew another baby horn. And it got bigger and bigger and bigger, right? And then this horn got a mouth and it starts mouthing off. It is arrogant and boastful. And it starts messing with heaven and fighting God and throwing stars to the ground and trampling them. It ruins the temple of God in Jerusalem and it crushes truth and it keeps prospering. That sounds terrible. How do we trust a God that allows that people die can we trust a god who allows suffering the answer is absolutely why because we know his plan we know his heart we know what he wants and we know what he allows god does not stop all suffering but he walks with us through all suffering To stop it would ruin the ramifications of rebellion. So he creatively maneuvers through it until he shuts the whole thing down and starts over again. The biblical mindset of trust in a broken world is the statement of the Hebrew boys in fire. King, our God can and might save us. But even if he doesn't, we're not going your way. That is the biblical mindset. Why? God can and may heal your suffering. But if he does not, you will still follow him. God can and may destroy the bad guys. But even if he does not, we will walk with him. God can and may stop your pain. But even if he doesn't, He's in the midst of it. And you said, but I don't understand why that's so valuable. And I'm going to tell you because it's supernatural comfort in the middle of torment. It matters. Quick show of hands. Anybody ever read a portion of Fox's Book of Martyrs? Anybody ever? This is old school. We're going old school on that. This is a, you may only know it because DC Talk referred to it and Jesus Freak. (laughs) All right? In the 90s. Come on, people. Uh, It's a chronicle of all the martyrs. 
And you have stories of people being burned alive at the stake, singing hymns the entire time. And God goes, listen, I need your blood to speak in judgment against them. But I will protect you in the midst and I will take you with me. If God will do that in the extreme, what will he do with you in the less extreme? That's my point. Either he will free us now or he will come closer in the midst. Those are the only two biblical options. Make sense? Pick it up in verse 13. Then I heard a holy one, an angel speaking. And another holy one said to the one who spoke and asked, how long will this last? Go to verse 14. And he said, for 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. Okay, how long? Yeah, I don't know. Could be a certain amount of days, blah, 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 blah. Here's my point. It's limited. For a Christian, all suffering is limited. Why? You will either be healed here or in the life to come. There is no such thing as eternal suffering for a Christian. Whatever you're going through will stop at some point. We have to take comfort in that. So, sure enough, they pick it up and Daniel's like, I don't understand what's going on. And so God says, hey, Gabriel. Anybody remember the angel Gabriel? Gabriel, help this guy out. He comes over and explains all the angry animals. And here's what he says. Yeah, that ram with two horns, that's the Medo-Persian Empire. Just like the bear was lopsided. That's going to happen in 12 years from now. That goat, that's the Greek Empire, it will take over in 220 years. Yeah, that unicorn horn, that's Alexander. He's going to get broken off and his kingdom will be divided into what? Four kingdoms. And then one of those small kingdoms will develop a leader who comes out of nowhere and starts mouthing off and starts attacking God and his people. As a matter of fact, he will be bold, arrogant, brilliant, deceitful, demonically inspired, and powerful. So, who is this? See, last time we talked about a horn that had a mouth, we were talking about the Antichrist, but this one is not coming out of the Roman Empire, this is earlier in history, coming out of the Greek Empire. Different horn, different dude. Confusing? Yeah, that's my problem. However, we can make it easy. We know who this guy is in history. His name is Antiochus Epiphanes IV. What do you know about him? He was a bad dude. He shows up almost 400 years after Daniel, born in 215 B.C., he rose up in one of those four kingdoms of the Greek empire, and he was Greek through and through. He clashed with the Jews immediately because he forced Greek culture to take over Jewish culture, and they weren't having it. It got so bad that in 167 BC, he took Jerusalem by storm, executed the high priest, killed thousands, and banned all worship of God. He set up in the Holy of Holies in the temple an altar to the Greek god Zeus and then sacrificed a pig on the altar of God. This was a bad dude. By the time he gets done, 
he will have murdered 80,000 men, women, and children, including infants. In response, a man rose up and led a guerrilla warfare rebellion by the name of Judas Maccabees. Judas Maccabeus led with his brothers a guerrilla warfare attempt that in three years they overtook Jerusalem, reclaimed it, reconsecrated it, and started worship back to God. That's why we celebrate Hanukkah. You guys following me? You see, this was all laid out in history, but it was laid out in the future. Ah, crazy. Y'all, we close with this. Good times come and go. Bad times come and go. As long as we're on this planet, there will be sin, brokenness, and hurting. But our circumstances do not change God. Our circumstances cannot dictate our theology. You see, daring to be different means looking through your circumstance to God. And that is your prayer prompt for today. Lord, show me how to look through my circumstances to you. God, show me how to look through my circumstances to you. Could I have the prayer team come on up here? As we close out, I'm just going to pray over us. And if you have a personal need you want to lift up before God, the whole reason the prayer team showed up is they want to pray with you. Would you please take advantage of this beautiful opportunity and pray today? Let's go ahead and close out. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. You have always been in charge and always will. Lord God, we get so rattled by our newspapers and our news feeds. God, we think that leaders somehow are in charge and they're not. Lord, our lives get complicated. We hear diagnoses and we think that is the final word. But you always have the final word. We praise you right here, right now, that the only two options you've ever given for your children are freedom now or you being present with us in the pain. God, until we go to be with you in person, we will trust you. We love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.